Phantom kangaroo. From Hong Kong, Chicago, and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 137. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Uh, <laughs> Please go to Perry. <laughs> hello, Perry. Good morning. And hello, very, very cheerful, happy Johnny. Hey, how are you? We're good, we're good. And uh, I'm, be- I'm beginning to wonder if actually we should uh, we should start the show with you, Johnny. Uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, because the theme of the show today is is wallabies, apparently. Um, because I just Googled this news story that I saw on Facebook earlier today, which was, uh, there was, well, it's variously called a kangaroo-like animal, a wallaroo or a wallaby, depending on which news source you look at. Um, but I started Googling this just wallaby Illinois which in and of itself was funny because you start Googling Wallaby, Illinois, and it, 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 what comes up is Wallaby legal in Illinois, Wallaby for sale, Illinois. So apparently this is really a thing. Um, well, you can buy a walla- Wallaby in Illinois. Apparently, or at least people are rap are uh, often Googling that because it's coming up as a suggested search. Is there, a, is there a, like a... Some kind of equivalent of marsupial king, in the, in. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put anything past south of I eighty, which is basically I call it Confederate Illinois because it's like living in the deep south. Um, so I wouldn't put anything past those, those, you know, those people down there. I mean, they're the they're they're the biggest export south of I eighty in Chicago is corn and meth. So they're they're cooking up meth with pet wallabies apparently is what's going on so just i just started reading these headlines from my search of wallaby illinois and uh the the story that comes up first is wallaroo on the loose in peru illinois leads police on wild chase peru there was somewhere called there is a peru illinois it's not that far from here it's uh it's about it's a couple hours from here uh, so Peru, Illinois, and LaSalle County, um, there was a wallaroo on the loose. And then next headline is, police catch kangaroo-like animal after Illinois town goes apeshit searching for kangaroo. Um, and then uh, here's the other one, wallaby chase in Peru. Wally rescued by, <laughs> this is the headline, wallaroo chase in Peru. Uh, no, no, don't continue. Wait, his name is Wally the Wallaroo? Well, no, I, I, I think we're going to find out. Um, this is from the Daily Chronicle of some... Is, is there actually such down. a thing as a Wallaroo? Is, or is it just, they're no, just co- I, covering, their, I, covering bases? I, yeah, I, I don't, we need to have Cheyenne on, obviously, to clear <laughs> this up. But, I mean, to my understanding, there's, you know, there's obviously, we know there are kangaroos. And we know that there are wallabies, because we've all watched. Skippy. You know. Yeah, yeah. And we've, we've all watched, you know, uh, what's his name? Steve, the crocodile hunter. But oh, I don't yeah. know about wallaroos. Maybe, that's, is that like, uh, a, is that like, is that like when the humans were getting it on with, uh, um, with, uh, uh, what's it, the Neanderthals or something? I didn't know. I guess it's, I guess I, it's I mean, an Australian Wall- liger. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, can 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 kangaroos and wallabies get it on successfully? Is it the question number one? Is it like mules, mules and horses? Yeah, then? yeah. Okay, I guess. But but they're calling it a wallaroo. So um, I'll just go ahead and re- since we're just going to be reading emails, why don't I just read this story? Because this is just you know it's the news. It's it's all facts. Because it's from the Daily Chronicle of uh, probably Peru, Illinois. So headline, Wallaroo Chase in Peru, colon, owner said fisherman arrived at right time to rescue his pet from Illinois River. This is by J.C. Ustis. Um, uh, The lead quote is, it was lucky of them to be there at the time because he was kind of giving up. Oh, Wally the Rollaroo was rescued from the Illinois River, but not before he took Peru police on a wild chase for roughly a couple hours Wednesday afternoon throughout town. I have never ran like that, said the pet owner's Nathaniel Drool. I was surprised. <laughs> Nathaniel Drool. I was surprised it was hours of him just running around. Wally initially escaped from Drool's Peru home after, uh, early afternoon after slipping through his harness. Quote, it was normal, just letting him outside, Drool said. He had his harness and there was one strap that was, was too loose on him and he got, got it off and took off. This was the first time. Peru police received the call at 1.15 p.m. Wednesday and immediately began the search for Wally. The Wallaroo made it. Uh, made its way past the post office, the American Red Cross building, the vicinity of US 6 ramp to Route 251, and along the railroad tracks on Water Street. While Wallaroos moved swiftly, some up to 30 mile per, miles per hour, police kept tabs on his every move, radioing updates to each other and following it. Wally's owner and police were able to finally were able to find the Wallaroo taking a short rest in some brush located between May's Lumber and the Illinois River. While, uh, while officials waited for animal control, the Wallaroo spontaneously tried to evade those close to him and stumbled down the riverbank into the river. The Peru River Rescue Team was called as Wally began treading water. <laughs> It was, it was radioed. Uh, it was radioed. The rescue team would take about thirty minutes to reach the location. Hang in there, Wally. Drool then went down to the riverbank to try to call Wally towards the shore, but to no avail. As police sent the team, they spotted a nearby fishing boat. Officials and bystanders flagged down the boat as the fishermen picked up Wally in a net. Drool said he was fortunate. Uh, he was fortunate to see the fishermen and said. Uh, it was a case of being at the right place at the right time. Uh, it was just two fishermen, Drill said. It was lucky of them to be there at that time because he was kind of giving up. You could see he was giving up. Um, uh, Wally was crated and transported to Bridgeview Animal Hospital. Dr. Allison Spare, that's the real name of the vet, Dr. Allison Spare, tried, treated him there, noting he was cold from the water um, and had what appeared to be a few abrasions. Wally was wrapped up in blankets and heating pads to help bring his temperature to normal after spending uh, many minutes treading the cold water. Uh, Drool said he was he was Drool said he was owned for almost two year old Wallaroo for about six to seven months. He has owned 
for six. Okay. Um, I've always been to exotic into exotic animals. Drool said, "I love animals, and a wallaroo is something I've always wanted." <laughs> Peru Police Chief Doug Bernabe said a preliminary inquiry found the wallaroo is owned lawfully and by a state permit. The total chase lasted two hours and ended safely with the help from all parties involved. It would be difficult to explain how this crazy adventure affected so many people uh, and how all of the police, fire, city employees, and so many citizens were cheering for a rescue before it was too late, Bernabe said. With only seconds to spare, the rescue was made. Wally should be able to go home with Drool on Wednesday night and plans to return uh, for follow-up x-rays to ensure he wasn't internally injured during the chase that had the community following along on social media. Wow. It's, so it's not all corn. It's not, it's not all corn and, pareth, and, and meth in Peru. It's wallabies also. Man, I don't, I don't trust Australian animals. No. Whoa. Hey, okay. Hold on. Um, so if you go to wallaby.company.com, you can buy a wallaby. It says right here, wallabies for sale. Well, I've got, I've got it on Wikipedia that they're, it's the common name for several species of moderate, moderate, oh, I shouldn't be reading anything, should I? Moderately large macropods, uh, <laughs> which is, uh, so when we're getting close to talking about lenses again now. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, it's an intermediate in size between kangaroos and wallabies. Well, there you go. I don't like. I don't like the fact that their 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 babies are called joeys. It's too human like. Can you imagine if like? Can you imagine if like bats? You know, like if baby bats were called like Jeremy's or something. <laughs> it's 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 not. It's it's too much anthropomorphism. So, just, just, just so you, just so we all understand, this is not an isolated event. Apparently, in Illinois, um, because here is a news story from 2016: pet wallaby on the loose in Illinois. This has happened before. Erie, Illinois: a family in Illinois has a pet wallaby on the loose, leading the entire town on a mission to bring him home. Does this sound familiar? I mean, this sounds more like a community activity than. <laughs> like a planned community activity. This, I mean, no shit. Wait a second. This is like the same story from 2016. Alexis Smith said her baby blue BLU got out while she was out of town. Her dog dug a hole in the yard under the fence and blue managed to escape. Smith said she thought blue had been taken or eaten by a predator until community members began spotting him around town. He's actually seen behind the Casey's. He's made his way four miles outside of town and come all the way back in, said Smith. She bought Blue a year ago, so I'm sensing a theme here. Your first year of owning a wallaby is clearly the most dangerous. Um, when he was just a few weeks old, now he has become a part of the family. He's our little baby, and we want him home where he belongs, Smith said. When Blue first went missing, Smith turned to Facebook asking for help. News of missing wallaby traveled fast, sparking a lot of interest in Erie. Catherine Miller and Jennifer Ashdown, Erie community members, heard about what was happening and have been spending time looking for Blue. We're all looking for the wallaby uh, that has been been missing for a while now. We've been looking for at least a couple nights for, for it, said Ashdown. Miller said she just started helping with the search efforts and hopes uh, he makes it home soon. 
I hope they find him soon because his family really seems nice, said Miller. Vintage Radio Station in Erie also heard about Wallabies on the, uh, Wallaby on Facebook and tried to help. Manager Aaron Dolly said he didn't know whether to believe the story when it hit social media. I guess I had no idea there was a Wallaby even in town. Um, I'm guessing they will go to whatever lengths needed to make sure this doesn't happen again once it gets back home safe. Vintage Radio began offering a $200 reward. Listeners began calling, offering more money, raising the reward to $525 as of Wednesday. I'm just like imagining Vintage Radio like between the doo-wop songs doing fundraiser updates on this wallaby thing. Smith said the help for the community she believes blue will be brought home soon. I'm not giving up. I don't think anybody wants to give up. Uh, so there's still hope for blue. Smith said blue is more than just a pet to Smith and her family. He is part of the family. My son, my son calls. He never got a brother. Uh, so he called he, he called him his little brother. There's been many times where her and her sister were both in the bath and would just hop into the bath because he loves hot showers and hot baths, Smith said. So it sounds like they have more than one wallaby. I've, if you spot blue, Smith says... I'm just going to say, we, we, we're going off topic now, aren't we? Because we were talking about... No, wall, no, we're, well, no, we were talking about wallaroos. And, uh, oh, well, well, I think it seems like they're, she's using this term interchangeably. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, they say, they, this is the last sentence. If you spot Blue Smith says, try call him by name. If he doesn't respond, don't run after him or he will just continue to run. So that's the, that's the, the eerie Illinois wallaby chase. So uh, the last thing I want to say on this topic, if you don't mind, um, is there is a Wikipedia entry. So wikipedia.org slash wiki slash phantom underscore kangaroo. Um, There's a whole history here of from in different countries of phantom kangaroos. Okay. So a kangaroo like beast, I'm looking at the quote. So this is just, this is a normal thing. In 1974 in Chicago, two Chicago police officers are called to investigate a report that a kangaroo is standing on someone's porch. (laughs) So this is not an isolated event, not just an Illinois thing either. All right. So anyway, notes in the show notes. Okay. So, um, so that's Chicago. Uh, Perry, uh, how's things in Hong Kong? <laughs> All right. Any phantom kangaroos? No phantom kangaroos. It's it's really early in the morning, uh, so I don't. I can't quite tell if I'm still just having a weird dream or if we're actually doing a podcast well, talking it's, about it, kangaroos and shit. I was, was going to say, it must must be said. Yeah, we do. We are recording this at a completely different time of the day than we normally do. It's uh, it's it's what what time's it now? Oh, it's quarter past ten in the evening for me. Uh, Johnny's clearly woken up, um, and uh, yeah, and it's pretty early for you. Is it? Well, is it about? Quarter past six now for you, is it something like that, Perry? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. It's quarter past six. Yeah. Which is totally fine, because I, I just feel like I'm going fishing. Yeah. Um, so Hong Kong, uh, it's all right. I mean, it, the, the temperature has dropped um, quite rapidly over the last couple of days. So to me, it's comfortable. And to everyone else, <laughs> it's, uh, it's down jacket time. So, I mean, just by way of context, right, it's 16 degrees Celsius right now, which is what, like 60-something degrees Fahrenheit approximately? Oh, I don't know. No, not that. 
please not that. Right. How, 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 how is everybody going to survive? So, so I've been walking around in a polo shirt and jeans and everyone has been, you know, as, as always, every winter, just looking at me like I'm some kind of alien. Um, and <laughs> it, it's really funny this time of year because all the white people in Hong Kong, they're also walking around in just T-shirt and jeans because it's, it's like just under 20 degrees, right? Which is normal, right? Yeah. Um, and then... You know, the, the people who've lived in the tropics their whole lives, they're, they're wearing all these thick jackets. And in the main har- in the main tunnel that connects uh, the Kowloon Peninsula where I live and the, the main kind of Hong Kong Island area, there's a giant billboard ad for Canada goose jackets. <laughs> I, I'm not even joking. It's enormous. And it is in the, 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 main, the main traffic thoroughfare between the two biggest parts of Hong Kong. And... Like, just, you know, let it sink in how absurd that is. We have a Canada Goose flagship store in one of the biggest malls in Hong Kong, in the, in the central wow. business district. Because when it hits 16 degrees here, uh, Celsius, apparently that is, you know, weather for a jacket that is designed for Canadians to wear when it's like minus 30. Right? So that's, that's where we're in right now. And the reason I bring up temperature is it's relevant because I finally bought Fixer. Um, I can't find uh, Ilford Rapid Fix at my local shops, so I just picked up some Coda Fix because it was all that was in stock. And usually, so we've had this discussion about our water temperature before. We don't have to reprise it, but usually when the temperature drops, it takes a couple of days for the pipes to catch up. So I'm hoping that in a few days or so, my tap water will be around 20 degrees Celsius instead of 27 so that I can just start developing film uh, without having to do my like usual ice bath crap. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Uh, so that's the uh, the, the weather update at uh, six a.m. Oh, the sun has just started to come up. It's dawn. It's dawn. Oh, sunrise in Hong Kong. Not sunrise yet. Just dawn. I see a little oh, bit okay. of blue nice. peeking up in the sky. Um, right. And we're we're on a new. I wouldn't call it a lockdown, um, but we had like a hundred cases a day for the last <laughs> week or two. Wow. And the government has shut down schools again. So it's anyway, that's dumb. Um, and so I have a bit more free time. And one thing to note is that November is now over, even though no, not November is going through to the end of the year. And annoyingly last week, the one lens that I said I would let myself buy, which is the Rodenstock Heligon 35 2.8 LTM. There was one on eBay that popped up for a reasonable price that I mentioned. It, 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 it's gone. It went in like a day and I was kind of relieved. But there's one locally at a shop that I quite like and it's been sitting there for about a week now. Um, and I'm so tempted. I have the day off today. I'm so tempted to go and look at it. But <laughs> just, you're just going to look at it. Yeah. yeah you're just going to look at it. I just want to see it. Right. Well, because I've never actually, like, I haven't held one of these lenses in, in real life. Have you guys? They're pretty rare. No, I, I have okay. not. I have not. Yeah, exactly. So I just want to look at it, kind of see what it feels like, see if, see if it's actually, you know, if the gas is justified. Because you guys get this thing where you have gas for something for so long, and then one of them actually pops up, and you're like, ooh, it's been so long that my gas is no longer as irrational. And I'm not, hmm. on the one hand, I still have that lingering you know, I wanted that so much and now it's available and I should get it. But then the actual feeling of gas is not so much there. Right. 
Yeah. And and as as David Hume uh, pointed out many many years ago, it's it's those emotional drives that make people actually make decisions, and not the kind of rational calculus. So I'm sitting here like, what do I do? What would you guys do in this situation? Rare lens, even gas and all year, it has now popped up. But, but well, you, obviously you should go see it because then you're going to have to buy it, which is the whole what we want to hear about is when you end up. We want to hear the story about how you just went to go see it and then ended up bringing it home. So, so obviously you should go see it because you'll end up buying it. Wait, no, but but I mean, Simon, I remember you were talking about the same thing with another lens a little while back that you wanted it. Was it the Petri? Like you wanted it for so long and you're not sure that you want it anymore? I don't know. Now that it's I, popped up? I know that when you were saying this, I was thinking, oh, there's, there's something familiar here and I'm, I'm, I don't think it will be the Petri because, I mean, I got, I got the Petri that I was after. Oh, it was a Petri, but it was the camera. Uh, I okay. think it was a, it was a, it was probably a color corrected. Oh yeah, that's right. You, yeah. you mentioned that a few episodes ago. Yeah, and uh, and it was it was for sale, and it was for sale at a reasonable price. But um, I've come close to buying one very very cheaply on several occasions, um, and but never quite paid enough, and so didn't get mm. it. And I'm there thinking, well, if I just wait longer, then it's going to happen. But of course, the pri- the prices have gone up massively on those things since then. So, yeah. So my chances of getting one for eighteen pounds um, is increasingly unlikely, unless I just drop on one. But then again, I do drop on stuff. Uh, that that's the thing, and that, and that, I think that's one of the the best tips I can give to anybody that, that's just got tons of gas and just wants every lens and every camera that they can is just don't look. Um, just let let things just drop in front of you a bit like the the lens that's just dropped in on on, on perry and then you can decide then whether or not you know you, you can go for it or not but it, yeah generally speaking you know you, you're also trying to get it to drop at the right price because mm. we all like the right lens at the right price don't we so so you're saying i should get the lens uh, you, haven't well, told, you haven't told us how much it is, whether it's a bargain or not and i don't think it is by the sounds of it's it. it's it's not a bargain but it is so th- this lens has gone up in price a lot just because it, it's so rare. Th- there's two um, LTM lenses that I would really like to have. One is this one, and the other is the Schneider Xenagon uh, 35 2.8, which is just beautiful. And they're in like, roughly the same price bracket. On eBay, they go for around 1000 US dollars, and I'm like, that's way too much. Um, so I'm looking for something, you know, yeah. substantially less than that. Yeah. But obviously, you know, you're not, you're not going to buy one for 10 bucks. Um, so this one is is on the upper end of what I consider to be a reasonable price for this lens, and so that's like mm. it's like irrational gasp, but it's not it's not that bad of a price. So I think I should go see it. I, we just we might as well just take bets now if you're gonna buy it. And I mean, <laughs> it, let's just cut to the chase here. Like, what are the odds that you're gonna have this lens? next podcast i say it's 100 percent. i say if you go see the lens you're gonna buy the lens if you see it you'll buy it <laughs> so you should may, definitely go see it may, well i mean the the have you guys spent a lot of time using rodenstock heligon lenses um because you know th- you know but th- they're they're quite common in large format right simon heligons no really no not at all isn't there isn't there a Rodenstock Heligon lens um, for the Linhoff Technica? Uh, yeah, well, there might be. But yeah, well, common. No, I mean most okay. most large format lenses are Tessars of some description. Okay, um, 
well, anyway, then what? There's something about these lenses, you know, uh, that whenever I use them or see the results from them, they just have that like perfect balance of the characteristics I like in a lens. I don't think I've ever seen a Heligon lens that I haven't loved, and so that's part of what sort of. But then sometimes that's irrational, right? Because you're 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 like, um, what's the term? Um, you, you get confirmation bias. Yeah, mm. you're like. So for yeah. example, you know, Cheyenne loves his Schneider lenses, right? And so anything that says Zenon to him is like the best lens ever, and that turns into confirmation bias because they're great lenses. But then you're like, oh, it's a Zenon. It must be good. It's a Zenon. It must be good. And and I, I kind of I feel that way about Rodenstock Hilgard lenses, and that's why I want this one. Yeah, sounds like you need it. And you should just get it. <laughs> I yeah, okay. There, there there is a um there's a Linhoff uh Technica Rodenstock Heligon lens available on eBay right now, and apparently it is a large format. Uh they're all just six element double gauss. Yeah. They're just they're just planars basically. But but they're, they they look different, you know. These ones have a little bit of swirl, but there's I don't know if it's the glass they use or something. But these Rodenstock lenses are spectacular. Hmm. That's that's all I got on that. So anyway, if, if I get it, I'll let you know. Um, and if if not, I will well, also let you. Know. It's that's a cliffhanger there. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next week, folks, to see if Perry got the Helicon. Yes. Exactly. No, no one's bought it so far. So I, I, the thing I know is demand is relatively low for them, although I might be driving that up. Um, so maybe I'll do a Simon and, and just be more patient because I went on eBay I should have gotten. Anyway, anyway, uh, that lens aside, which I may or may not purchase, um, and that doesn't count as breaking No Nut November, by the way, because I said from the offset that that was the only lens I was Wait, allowed to what? Buy. No, Simon, back me up on this. I said... The only lens I'm, I'm allowed to buy during the period is that one, right? Yeah, I guess you did say that. Sounds, sounds reasonable. Okay. I think you did say that. Mm. Okay, good. <laughs> the other thing is, um, I mean, this has nothing to do with what I have been doing, uh, but I, I, I recently, just a couple of days ago, watched um, The Devil All the Time on, uh, on Netflix. And there's been, it seems like there's been this trend of vintage cameras and lenses appearing on Netflix shows. But uh, have you guys seen this movie? No. Which 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 one is it? The Devil All the Time. Oh no, I'm not. Seen it's it. a it's a kind of Southern Goth style uh, movie with um, Tom Holland in it and uh, like Robert Pattinson, and it, I enjoyed it a lot. It's really dark and based on this this book. But so it's set in the nineteen like late sixties, early seventies, and in the era of the Vietnam War, and. There were, I'm not going to put any spoilers because the stuff that I'm going to talk about is really not related to the plot, but there were a couple of moments that just kind of, I was watching with my girlfriend and I was making comments about the cameras and she was like, you're such a nerd. Uh, But there's one character who is a photographer uh, of sorts and he shoots with a a couple of cameras. I think the first one he busts out is an exacto with a waist level finder, but then there's a scene where he's taking a photo. And he's clearly using a Leica with a 50 collapsible Sumicron on it. And it looks like a Leica M3. But then when it was kind of a close-up of him taking the shot, I swear he was using an M6J, which is like the Leica M6 that looks like an M3. Um, but you can tell it's an M6 because it has the, the battery compartment. So either 
it was an M6J or it was an M3 with a self timer removed, but then it still had the little bump there. Uh, you know what I mean? Like sometimes when people remove the self timer, there's still like a, the little cap, just the lever is gone. And I got so annoyed at this uh, because I was like, yo, that's a 1994 camera, right? You can't be shooting that in the 19, late 1960s, early 70s. This is era inaccurate, unless it's an M3, which is fine. And um, so, so again, no, no spoilers, but there's a scene where, um, oh, I can't say that. That's actually, that's actually a bit of a spoiler. But <laughs> uh, the, the next bit is there's a scene where they're looking at negatives from this guy. And obviously he's shooting with a Leica and Exacta, so they're 35 millimeter, right? But the negatives are medium format negatives, and I got so pissed off at this moment <laughs> because I was like, "Perry, not... but... <laughs> wait, wait." And I, so, so no, no. But but here's the reason why this is doubly annoying because Netflix does have shows where the cameras are era accurate, and yeah. this movie was shot on film. It was shot on 35 millimeter film, which is unusual for a Netflix movie. <laughs> Because it costs more money, so they should know better, right? But, uh, but wait, 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 wait. Let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. Yeah, so they're looking at these. They're, they're looking at these negatives, and they're medium format negatives from a Leica M3 or M6J, which is BS. Not only that, when they zoom in on the negatives, you can clearly see that it's Kodak T Max 400, which is which was released in 1986, right? <laughs> Not during the Vietnam War era. So like, I'm just watching this. I'm like, I'm in, I'm enjoying this movie a lot, but every time there's something camera related. It just breaks me out of the immersion, and I was so irritated at this. My girlfriend was like, "You're so lame." This is like reading reviews for the movie "The Battle of the Bulge," because that movie famously had all these, you know, big time actors in it, and had pretty much nothing to do with being historically accurate. And and all the military history people like freak out because everything's wrong on a granular. The thing is. 99.5% of people. So it's, 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 you know, you're not the target audience when it gets that specific on the gear. Right. Yes. So it, it, you have to just suspend your disbelief and it's, it's not a documentary, you know, it just has to look like film enough to convince most people watching it, which it will, unless you're, uh, you know, the, a tunic button, dude when it comes to the military movies it's the there's it's the same they have the there's the same sort of uh people in the military history community that you know i will complain about the tunic buttons being wrong in every in every movie yeah it's like the tech people who who complain about the way that coding is portrayed in movies i get that um yeah. but i mean you can't help like when a vintage camera pops up uh you, you can't help but notice these things and then it's really irritating when it's inaccurate Although there's a beautiful moment in the movie where the guy tells his wife that he's going into town for business, and she says to him, "Buying a camera is not business." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I get that." Nice. Uh, anyway, that that that's all for me. I've been just enjoying the uh, camera references in that movie. So. <laughs> well, I, I've I've got new acquisitions. And uh, one one of which I've uh, <coughs> excuse me uh, one of which I've uh, I've I think I mentioned it last week or the week before um, a Mamiya C three thirty and uh, which was uh, in a in a foreign country um, Scotland actually to be specific and 
and uh, almost yeah. pretty pretty soon it will be yeah, it may well be who knows um and uh and that's i know i now have that now and uh um it's not it's not as nice as the one that i was using uh recently uh belonging to paul bullock um but it's still it's still pretty good although it's got some foibles about it which i'm you know struggling to work out how the damn thing works at times because i'm winding it on and and sometimes it fires sometimes it doesn't and there's a baffle in there that i've now realized that's important um that because with it being interchangeable lenses um you can't just take the lens off the back uh, because nope. you'll expose the film um so you, you have to close a baffle uh, to make it light tight and then you then you change it and it's got interconnect interlocks and all this kind of stuff to stop to stop you messing yep. around but it's probably got more things in there than than it well i don't know if it needs them or not but the, it makes them idiot proof and also probably impossible for idiots to use them at the same time even if they wanted to um so i'm, I'm struggling a little bit with it at the moment so i'm gonna i'm gonna take it for a service but it, it needs a bit of uh tlc and then uh, my camera repairman will then explain to me how to use the camera um giving me the look uh as, it, as he does that um but what made me excited about this camera um was the fact that it, it comes with it actually comes with two lenses um <coughs> The, the other lens uh, that it comes, I'm not really going to talk that much about, is a 250mm f6.3, something like that. So a big, big telephoto for a, mm -hmm. for a, um, a, a TLR. Um, and, you know, I might use it. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, but the, the, the main point of interest is the 105 3.5 lens that comes with it. And this is the... Um, I think it's the earliest version, yeah. so I'm, it, I'm guessing that meant that it perhaps came off a C3 or a, or a uh, Mamiya Flex, maybe. I, 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 these um, you, you start to go into into these um, Mamiya TLRs, and it's a it's a real rabbit hole, and I'm I'm trying to navigate my way around it, um, largely because I've been making lens caps for them. Um, so it's trying to work out which which lens has which combination front and rear um lens caps and things like that but the the interesting thing here is this is one of the older ones uh possibly the oldest because it's um and they're known as the uh, seikosha s uh version mm -hmm. so it's 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 largely um brushed aluminium is perhaps about the best way of putting it um not quite chrome and uh but the the point being is though i've been led to believe for quite some time that this is actually a heliar uh, lens, um, which obviously made me excited, and as soon as I uh, looked through it, I was there thinking, "Whoa, this is good!" And it, it reminded me of the time when I first looked through a Rolleiflex uh, for the first time, and I got the same kind of separation and three D look uh, that that you get. Um, so really, really, really pleased with it. Um, and then uh, Paul Bullock, um, who uh, I mentioned earlier, has got one of these. Has got and he's I think he's just bought the lens as well. Actually, um, he goes to me. I think the early ones might be Tessar Simon, which I, I'm which I'm I'm pretty sure that he knows exactly what that would do to me. Um, and um, which I, I which I have to counter, of course, uh, by saying that Tessars are fine. And I I did say that once. Um, and uh, to be more specific, it's not a standard uh, Tessar. It's not a normal lens. It's, it's, it's a bit longer, so therefore it's okay. It's like 
50 millimeter tessars is where the bad things happen um mm. on the on full frame um or rather bad things don't happen nothing happens because they're boring and dull and they just do what you want them to do and who wants that in the lens um so so i'm not i know i'm now don't actually know i've done a little bit of digging on the internet before we came on and i can only see things saying that it's a heliar um but i'm just wondering if either of you guys know if it might not actually be one yeah so um is it the 105 3.5 d no it's older than that i think i think it's older than that. i think that's an i think that's a later one i think okay yeah because the d is is the uh for the c330 and that is definitely a heliar um wait so you say it's it's from a c3 my my first question this is just something i don't know are those lenses interchangeable between systems yes so, so you could take a lens from a C220 and put it on a C330? Yeah. Oh. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, I didn't know that. Um, and, and secondly, Mamiya's original uh, manuals for those cameras um, contain lens diagrams for the, the lens systems. So uh, I'm just on butt kiss right now uh, trying to dig that up for you. Yeah, I have um, I got a, I have a link for it so that you can refer to that so you can learn how to use the camera, Simon. <laughs> I'll put it in the I'll put it in the show notes for you, Simon. Oh, you really suggesting I should read the manual? Uh, with this camera, you definitely should. Yes. Is it is it like a a medalist? Read the manual before every time you use it. Um, not quite, but you definitely it's you're not gonna you're definitely gonna have trouble with it if you don't read the manual. Okay. For sure, hundred percent. Oh, and also, I just, oh, sorry, go on. No, I'm just gonna say, even opening the back is weird on these. So, okay, well, so I, Simon, I, I Simon, to do that, I have opened it, so I'm, 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 I'm doing all right so far. Well, that's good. <laughs> uh, so not, not to disappoint you, Simon, but the, uh, I have the manual for the C220 up here, and yes, the earlier 105 3.5 is a four element three group lens. i.e. a Tessar. So the D is a Heliar. Uh, the non-D is a Tessar. Okay, I'm, I'm putting it away now. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I mean, the more important question there, Simon, is since it is a TLR, uh, and this is something I forgot to bring up when Johnny was talking about, like, marsupials, um, do you have the, the cone for it? Cone. Yes, the massive cone in which you shove your face and look like a dork. Oh no, 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 no! no. <laughs> they don't. They don't. They didn't make those for. They didn't make those for Mamias. That's a really thing. So, uh, can, can I ask this question, Simon? Mm -hmm. So, Johnny, I hear you're a you're a cone aficionado. You like to shove your head into cones, right? Yes. So, so Cheyenne tried to. Uh, he sent me a link a couple of days ago. Um, before I learned about your cone affection. Um, and the link was, uh, I think, uh, an eBay link selling this cone. And I basically laughed in his face, um, saying, I'm not going to buy that. That looks so stupid. Uh, and then lo and behold, uh, someone else, someone who I shall not name, sent me a lovely photograph of you uh, with your head fully in cone. And would yeah. you like to describe said cone and justify yourself? What? No, I mean, dude, it's in the Roloflex uh, accessories catalog. It's a legit Roloflex accessory. 
what can I tell you? It's a binocular focusing hood. It makes your, makes your, it makes your uh, Rolleiflex. It's like a, it's like HD TV. It's like it turns like your your. It, it turns your wasteable finder into like it's like you're looking at HD TV in in three D. Yes, I mean I, I get it, and it, it makes sense because it's it's basically like a large format, you know, cape, um, but for a Rolleiflex, but it. No, it's, it's no, but that's it, that's not at all what it is. It's literally an optical viewing device. So you are now instead of looking at the ground glass with you know with one eye, right? It's you're it's giving you stereo vision on the ground glass. It's two lenses, so it's stereo vision on the ground glass. So it literally makes everything look 3D. It's oh, insane. The, wait, there's there's optics in it? It's uh, yeah, man, it's optics, it's a binocular focusing hood. So it's uh, it's it's optics which are adjustable um uh-huh. for I guess dis, you know, ocular interocular distance or whatever. So yeah. no, it's it, it's it, it's an optical viewing device. So you're getting 3D stereo vision on the ground glass, which if you don't if you if you haven't ever tried one, it is mind blowing. So the reason I use it is because I can't see my ground glass anymore. So it's I have I it's really really difficult for me to focus. Uh, any of my rollies, even with the um, the magnifier, because my eyes are just so bad for close now. But okay. with the binocular hood, I can focus perfectly. And right. not only can I focus perfectly, it's like it, it's like it's a completely different experience than looking at the ground glass with just your normal, the normal way you do it because you're it, it, it's like, I don't know how else to describe it. It's, it's literally binocular stereo focusing. So it's, it is a legit accessory. You can get them for under a hundred bucks. And I highly recommend getting one and trying it because it will blow your mind. And it okay. looks and the and the and, and the the upside is it looks like you're walking around with some kind of high end German bondage gear, so which is a good look for anyone. I mean, you know, that, I think I think that's the part that I, I'm taken aback by the. Uh, I, I get it. I mean, I didn't know there were optics in it. And that does make it oh, yeah. cool. But when you have this thing on it, it literally doubles the size of the Rolleiflex and you're, you're sticking your head into this. I mean, my thinking is if you're going to use this thing, you might as well shoot large format. No, 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 no. It's, it's a hundred times less inconvenient than, than shooting large format because it, this thing just snaps on. I mean, it like everything Rolleiflex, it is designed to work perfectly with the camera and it just, it latches right over the waist level finder perfectly. Right just as you would expect it to. Um, I don't know. I can't say enough good things about it. It's, 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 it's an insanely useful piece of equipment. Um, I mean, if, if for no other reason than it just, it makes it easier because it's shading the ground glass. So, you know, it's like, it is like a, in that sense, like a dark cloth. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but, that's where all comparisons end because it's, it's an optical viewing device. It's, I mean, it would be like if you had a dark cloth for large format, but it was like a, you know, a stereo viewing device for your ground glass. Right. With like two loops. Some, in. Yeah. Which somebody probably makes, I mean, I know they make, you know, they make those, 
if you want to be a complete pussy, they make those right angle viewing things. So it's not upside down and backwards, which what's the point of shooting large format if you're going to do that? Um, well, the point of large format is not to reverse everything and piss you Oh, off, of course right? it is. Of course it is. It's to be as difficult as possible to take a photo. Come on. Come on. Okay, fair. So if you use, if you use, a, uh, if you use a right angle viewing device, you're an absolute pussy if you're doing large format. That's number one. But if it had, at least if it had optics in it, it would then be somewhat more legit, Right. Because it would be, it would at least be doing something more than just giving you a, you know, baby training wheels for your camera that you can't use because you're a pussy. Okay. Okay. So it's a hundred times better than a you know, a focusing cloth. They do make like so Roly. They also made these are we had about a half dozen of them at Central Camera that you know burned in the fire. But they did make these just black cardboard you know, leather coated board folding. I mean, just basically a, you know, a little smokestack that you could look down into that would just shade the, you know, the ground glass. I think they were mainly for roll of cords, which are dimmer anyway. So it would make the, you know, make it much easier to see the ground glass because you're just cutting all the ambient light out, Mm -hmm. but this is actually doing way more than that. I mean, it's, you know, it's got the, the two lenses in it. So it's a completely different thing. Okay, I, I accept that as a as a thorough defense of the uh, the cone. I had no idea so for, glass in it. That's kind of that's kind yeah, of yeah. So for less than a hundred dollars, Perry, I'm not. There's no way in hell I'm carrying one of those. Yeah, it's around. dude. It's chump change. Just get one and try it and it's, return it. You could you could buy it and return it. It's Just not get, it's not the price. I, there's no way in hell I'm I'm walking around oh, and using one of those. Okay, all right, all right. So this is from the place and where where everybody walks around with a mask on even before the pandemic shit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Looking it's, stupid. <laughs> it's not the look of it. It's I don't like carrying extra stuff around in my camera bag. It 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 folds flat. You can slide it into your pocket. It folds like literally. It folds. It folds like I'm trying to it, how big this thing is. I'm trying to come. It's like um, I mean, it folds down like an envelope. So it 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 takes up like no space, and it's not heavy. <laughs> it's like a little accordion folding thing. Okay. Can you use it it's, with glasses? Of course you can use it with glasses. All right. I, if I see one, I, I, I'll, I'll look at it. Buy it. No. Buy it. Try it. Return it. It's eBay. You're supposed to fuck everybody over on eBay. Just do it. I'm not. Uh, oh, I, I just decided I didn't like it. I'm going to send it back. Just It's fine. You can do that. Okay. If I see one of these, I will, I will <laughs> try to suppress my laughter and... and <laughs> Think about. Got to do it. Think about this. Oh, but that must be weird. Like, how do you how do you compose a picture when it's in like stereo three D? Isn't that bizarre? It's no. It's way easier. That's the whole point. It's way easier because you can focus because you're using both eyes. But when you're using both eyes and you got like you know, because your, your photograph is a two D image, right? And so when you've yeah. got the thing with stereo, it's gonna it's gonna have like that weird pop, and then when you move around, you're gonna get that sort of parallax difference between your eyes creating like those 3d offset effects that are not going to no show the final no image. no no it doesn't it doesn't do that at all it doesn't do that at all not not necessarily in terms of like the actual image that comes out but just your perception of it that that, no. would, that would trip me out it's it it's it's not like that at all it doesn't there's no there i'm telling you there's no doubt there's no like 
weird you know, downsides. You know, you know those things that people put on post on Facebook where it's like a 3D photo, which is basically just no. a 2D photo it, where the subject moves around when you turn the phone. I'm imagining it being like that. It's not like that. <laughs> it's not. It's not like that. <laughs> you can just. You have to. You, you you have to try one because until you try one, you won't understand. That's what they say about math. Or or wallabies. Fair. So Simon, my original point was you should. I was asking, do you have one of these for the Mamiya? I guess it does not exist. And therefore, you you can't simulate the large format experience. It it may. No, it's not large format experience with one of those things, is it? That's that's the point. It's not. No, not at all. Ably explained why why it isn't. Unless you just mean it makes your camera larger and that means large format. I don't know if that's that's what you're making. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't even make your camera more inconvenient like large format. It's not. It's not like either one of those things. Okay. Okay. So. Uh, All right. Let me just read. Since 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 nobody's going to be happy until until we explain this fully, I was going to read from the Rolly Practical Accessories Manual, which is the the Bible of all things that attach to a Rolleiflex. Right. So this is what it says: the binocular focusing hood. The leather hood, and it's got a, a, an item number there, which is 1302. Fitting over the focusing hood fulfills a dual purpose. The binocular magnifiers show the viewing image at a 2x magnification and permit unrestricted viewing without any reflections from extraneous light. It is recommended for Roloflex models with ground glass screen and non-detachable hood, not permitting the use of a prism finder. It permits observation of the 2x enlarged image with both eyes. The close fitting hood keeps out all side light and increases considerably the brightness of the viewing picture. Both magnifiers can be adjusted individually to the interocular distance. They snap into position when opening the hood. It closes and folds flat to the size of an eyeglass case in one simple operation. So there you go. The size of an eyeglass case is what I was looking for. All right. That's all I have to say about that. (laughs) There's just no excuse for you not to get one there. No, there's no excuse. You can find one for under $100. It's chump change compared to that Heligon you're going to buy. So with the money you're saving on getting the great deal on that Heligon, which no doubt you will, you can use some of that extra money that you've been saving up all through No Nut November to buy a under $100 binocular focusing hood for your Roloflex, and then you can strut around Hong Kong like a complete badass with a piece of German bondage gear stuck to your face, and everybody will think you're awesome. So there you go. <laughs> All right, sold. Sold. Uh, okay, German bondage gear. That That's the new look for 2021. Looking German at bondage gear. And, and Look, and the Germans have proven that anyone – anyone can do bondage, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if you're like a 60-year-old kind of fatty couple. It doesn't matter. Bondage is for everyone. Bondage and nudity is for everyone, and the Germans have proven it. It's healthy. It's natural. There's no reason you shouldn't do it, just like a binocular focusing hood for your Roloflex. Nice. Okay. Well, uh... All right. I'll put some good German nudist bondage <laughs> porn in the show links for you all just to prove that this is all true. 
So uh, back to you, Simon. Sorry. Yes, yes. Um, so next acquisition, um, and uh, it's 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 actually another Tessar, um, and uh, but it's a large format lens, so it's okay. Um, and it's a it's a Kodak Ektar, uh, seven and a half inch, four point five. So that's about one hundred and ninety mil, four point five. Um, I did. I did the sum for you earlier, Perry. Because as soon as I said that, I saw you um, looking look to the ceiling and doing the calculation in your head there. Um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So uh, and it comes with its own shutter, um, and it's uh, and it looks like it works. Um, so um, looking forward to actually attaching this um, to a camera. But what I actually want to do. Um, I mean, yes, I want to put it onto a large format camera, um, but I want to do something else with this um, because I'm looking at this 190 mil, um, 4.5. That's 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 pretty reasonable, and obviously it's got an enormous um, image circle on it, far more than uh, I need it for for uh, what I'm thinking about. Um, mm. But there's um, a camera that I would like to use more, um, especially for landscape photography. Um, and I'm, I'm really restricted with it. Um, one, because of, um, I've only got two lenses for it. Um, but, but secondly, the, the, the focal length, the equivalent focal length that uh, I would like just doesn't seem, to, well, it just doesn't exist with it. And uh, I'm talking about the Hasselblad. And so I really like shooting 135 um for, for for landscape and picking out details and you get uh, so you can go for a, a 120 mil which is effectively the, uh, the the portrait lens um then there's the uh the 150 and i think i'm trying to remember there might be more than 150 and i think one of them might be really expensive or whatever um Oh, it's a bit slow. I can't quite remember. But uh, but after that, I was thinking to myself, you know what? A 200 mil would be absolutely right. What is the Hasselblad 200 mil? And there isn't one uh, because you, you, you've then got a big jump um, through to 250. And yeah. So I'm thinking, well, you know, you, with a regular Hasselblad, there aren't too many things you can adapt to it because you need a shutter in the lens. And hey, presto, I've got a shutter in the lens and I've got the focal length that I was after probably probably closer to what I actually wanted it to be as well. Um, so I just need to find a way of fitting some kind of helicoid to it and then putting that into some kind of extension to get it to the right length away from the focal plane and then um, make myself uh, an adapter that will go on to effectively a body cap really, which is something I can obviously I can do. Um, and then I've got myself 190mm 4.5 lens for a Hasselblad and I'm hmm. pretty excited about that. Yeah, what 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 format is that originally for that lens? Uh, four by five. Oh, okay. Although so that that well, I yeah. say that I'm not hundred percent sure. I'm not actually um, gone gone into it. I mean, it could be half plate, uh, but I think I think it's um, a four four by five. It's an f four point five. Oh, sorry. It's a it is a four. Yeah, it's an f four point five, and I think it's for four by five. Or five by four, depending on uh, how you wish to say it. Ah, okay, that's neat. So, so you're not going to get any crazy like swirliness if you put it on four by five, then? No, no, and I don't think I'll get swirliness with it anyway. It's, uh, I mean, it's it's a you know, a well corrected, almost certainly Tessar formulation lens. So, um, yeah, it'll just it'll just do the job. But of course, with it being a no, car, sorry, I, I guess swirly is not the right 
term, but you know when you use a lens that um, has an image circle that's larger than the format. So within the intended format, it's normal. And then outside, there's just this area of just like crazy swirl. Yeah. Right. That, that, that's that's more of sort of what I had in mind if it were designed for a smaller format. I guess like if you put on eight by 10, maybe you'll get what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe, I think it might it might cover seven by five quite quite possibly. I don't know. I mean, it's a it's a chunky, chunky lens anyway. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm that's, that, that, that could be fun. And uh, is it is it silver? Uh, mainly like Chrome. Okay. So I'm just, I'm looking at one on a large format, um, thread and I'm trying to figure out which lens specifically you're talking about. And yeah, apparently we'll cover eight by 10 close up at least. All right. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I like Hector lenses, uh, because they're cool. Um, Mm-hmm. And I've got a I've got a 152 mil uh, one which I've used a couple of times, which I I really like, and it's been serviced. So um, so I'm looking forward to getting that one back. Um, so so that's uh, two two Tessars I seem to have bought, uh, and I'm quite happy with. And then finally, wait, how how are you going to get that? How are you going to get that on a Hasselblad? Do you have your own sort of like adapter for a lens board? Uh, no, no, no. Um, I mean, the thing it, it's it's got its own shutter, so. What you yeah. actually do, you you need to uh, um, your adaptation adapts to the shutter rather than the lens, um, right? And uh, so I, I'll fashion some kind of I'll three D print something so I can I can just screw this in. Um, I mean, normally you would use a retaining ring. Um, yeah. Well, a couple of things there. I haven't got a retaining ring for it, which is a bit of a problem I've got there. So I need to get a retaining ring for a. Was it? Uh, a number a size number four Ac- acme uh which is not the same size as copal sizes i do not believe um I think it's like the american stroke english uh system so that's going to be a bit of a pain to find a retaining ring that will fit it but that's not too much yeah. of a problem because it, there is a thread on there and i can print a, a cylinder for it which will be just the right size to actually you know friction fit it in there and it'll fit in there right and that's a focal length where you won't have a problem getting infinity oh god no right no, yeah, yeah. Not, not, at not at all. Well, because I mean, it, it, it it's interesting because I was thinking uh, while you were talking about this in my sort of quest to adapt various lenses of that ilk to Pentax six seven, um, and things like Mamiya six four five. One of the things that I run into is difficulties getting infinity sometimes because either the mirror is hitting or it's just not. You know, I got to put it yeah. deep inside the the throat of the camera. Yeah. Um, which then. It occurred to me that one of the reasons why the Bronica S2 uh, that I've been using, that Nick Lyle has been adapting a bunch of stuff to and from as well, um, is such a good platform for adaptation. Apart from coming with a helicoid, the mirror is designed in a way that it doesn't flip up. Yeah, uh, it, it actually it slides down. And so as a result of that, that's why the lenses can uh, protrude much further into the body. Um, so if you look at like the standard 75 Nikkor lens, you have about this much of the lens that, you know, about a centimeter or two that comes out of the body. And then the rest of the lens is, is deep inside this sort of Hasselblad shaped body, but it's, it works because the mirror slaps down. And so you, you get a lot more, uh, flexibility there in terms of trying to get infinity. I mean, that's not an issue at your focal length, just as a general adaptation to six by six SLRs on medium format. I actually think the Bronica S2 is maybe the gold standard for that the, the trade-off is the flange distance is pretty long mm. but you can get the lens right inside the camera yeah a bit of a tangent there 
No, 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 no. Uh, but yet, no, it, it wouldn't be a problem adapting this to just about anything, I don't think. Um, so that neatly brings me uh, to another lens <coughs> that I bought, and I bought it because it sounded cool. Um, and uh, and again, it was it was the right kind of money. So what what could I do? I couldn't help myself. Um, but we all we all need a uh, a five hundred millimeter f four point five in our lives. Um, so uh, so I so I got one. Um, and this one's made by Lights of of Light Leica fame. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna just place it down on the on the table now. I don't know if that if that resonates the uh, the the weight. Uh, of this thing um, and I think I, I did actually weigh it and I think it weighs about four kilograms something like that um, it's really really properly heavy um, and its proper name is it's an it's an EPAR that's E-P-A-R 500mm f4.5 and, uh, and made in Wetzlar uh, in Germany um, and it, uh, it lacks uh, an aperture um, and that's because it's a um, it's a projection lens of some description. I'm not entirely sure what uh, this was projecting at any at any point, um, but that's what mm -hmm. it is. It is a projection lens, and again, that pretty much pretty much means it's probably a uh, well, it's it's probably a Tessar. I think this one. I mean, a lot of projection lenses are triplets, uh, but I, I think this one's a Tessar from what I I can find out. But there's not a huge amount of information out there on it, um, but it's it's enormous um and the the image circle i, I, I do do the test where um i go to the a, a back wall in the in in the in my lounge which faces south and then the, so the light comes in through the windows and then you can project um the view from outside on the back wall and the, the image circle's enormous it's absolutely enormous it's like it's pro properly ultra wide ultra large format Maybe it was uh, for projecting stuff on like drive-through cinema, <laughs> drive-through movies or something. Who knows? I mean, I mean, and but you can, but you could easily use this on uh, on on some kind of you know, ultra-large format panoramic uh, camera, and anything you like, um, except except just the sheer weight of it. I mean, how you would actually mount this lens into something with some kind of bellow system. It, it, you need scaffolding. I mean, it's it's just so uh -huh. so so heavy, you know. So, um, but yeah, I'm I, I wonder. I wonder if there's a system where you can have like dual tripod. You, you know, in um, you know, for movies they have those um, not those slides, but there's those sort of tripody things that that allow you to move something back and forth. And I wonder if you can have something set up with basically the lens on what on a tripod. The camera on a tripod, and then basically like slide the camera back and forth, well, said, rather said, than move the lens. It sounds like you're talking about standards, front front and rear standards that you would get on the large format camera there. Except no, no, but if this is so heavy, it'll yeah. break that off of oh, the yeah. camera. So I'm I'm thinking like you have the lens on a uh, yes, yeah, so, so so sort of like a standard, but like a tripod version yeah. of that. Yeah, with you, a tripod on the front and the back. Yeah, yeah. 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 Anyway, yeah. I, I don't I don't know anything about large format, but but that kind of setup seems like it would work yeah it's it, yeah I could, I could actually imagine how you would actually have the lens would be effectively 
stable and yes. in one place and because the rest of the camera it just needs to be a light tight box so as long as the lens is actually stabilized you could just move the the rest of the camera back on some kind of either a bellow system or like a uh, two two boxes that fit inside each other um, that mm-hmm. that that kind of process um, which is now making me think this is actually more <laughs> i might be able to do more with this than i thought you know and uh, perhaps like shoot some um, some paper uh, you know, do do it as a paper negative or something like that because I mean, one a, a sheet of film that this is capable of of uh, exposing will be an absolute fortune. Um, but um, some relatively large paper, uh, photographic paper, is certainly doable. Or oh, oh, John, Whoa. John, yeah, have you got have, have you got the voice changer on there, Johnny? No, why is it weird now? Oh, it's, oh no, it was it, it was then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, it, I, I, that, I, like, I my audio dropped out for a minute or so here, and then you guys came back. So ah, right, right. So maybe you, it was weird you, for a you asked me what the name of the lens was. Yeah, yeah. It's um, so it's a it's a lights, and it's uh, an EPAR EPAR five hundred millimeter f four point five. Oh, it's probably a process lens. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, it's a kind of projector lens. I think it's a. Yeah, it's for it's probably for a commercial camera. Yeah, it's it's got a or, focusing or re- mount re- as well. Uh, which, okay, which, which, so which yeah, is it's, nice. Yeah, Simon, I think I think what you should do with that, rather than try to shoot large format with it, is get the fixed lens set up and then adapt it to <laughs> micro four thirds. Hey, I've got. Go a, I'd, I've, well, for, for 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 these circumstances, I'll 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 crack out the Pentax Q. <laughs> Oh yeah, and then go birding with it, because then you can just move the lens. The camera, the camera is just this tiny little speck on the back. Just move the lens around. You yes. got an effective what? What's the crop factor on a Pentax Q? Uh, it, there, are, there are different versions, but I think the one I've got, some, I think it's like about four point eight. Uh, awesome. Factor. Then you got like a two, three thousand millimeter lens. Yeah, I at four point five. I did. I did mount it once on a on a. Uh, MTO thousand, which is actually uh, with it being Russian, thousand doesn't mean it's a thousand millimeter. It's actually an eleven hundred millimeter mirror lens, uh, and I put the I put the Pentax Q on that on my <laughs> on my um, my best heaviest heaviest possible tripod in the world, and uh, it was you know just just somebody somebody walking within ten feet was enough to shake it. Uh, it was, you know, it was uh, it it was difficult. It was very very difficult to do anything with it. But I did get a I did get an exposure out of it, and uh, I took a photograph of a JCB digger in the distance, which I, I had no idea even was there. Um, and you know, and I can see this all the time. You know, it's, it it just sits there, but I I never knew it was there. But I I did when I I put that set up on it. So um, so yeah, I put it to good use. Um, oh, that's awesome. Right, and uh, and think about that. We're, we we probably won't. Uh, we'll do this in chronological order. But we 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 have quite a few emails again. Uh, people keep emailing us. Um, so I think this might be a good time to do that because uh, I know that at least one email is talking about telephoto lenses. Um, but oh yeah, we, we won't necessarily talk about that one. We'll we'll do them in uh, as we normally do in chronological order. So are you are you teed up, Johnny? I am um, uh, probably not going to get through all these because it's it's nearing six o'clock here. Well, it's five o'clock here, so I'm gonna have to go uh, before too long. Uh, but do you want to start? Where do we want to start? I have them probably in. 
let's see, do I have them in reverse chronological order? I have um, I have Mr. Rodman first. Is that reverse chronological order or is yeah, that correct? I, th- I think that's the oldest one, yeah. So should I start there? Yeah, sounds good. Okay. Okay, so we have an email from uh, official Rodman slash Rodmaker for the Classic Lenses podcast. Um, and that is, uh, of course, J.D. Wagner. And um, so he wrote us from jdwrods at aol.com and subject is shout back and he says hey guys thanks for reading my email on air and the kind words about the newsletter no need to read this on air but (laughs) i guess we do it anyway but there are some questions uh there there was some question about the picture of the fish in the newsletter the fish is a wild male brook trout in pre-spawning colors the brook trout is one of the most beautiful fish and the sexually mature males in the fall become even more gorgeously colored and get that nice orange belly. I get like that too. Uh, it's a way of attracting females. It works like owning a like, I guess uh, I wouldn't know by the way that was shot with an auto Takamara 35 2.3, another lens that a reader mentioned today. Um, and one of my favorites, really amazing man. Those have gone up in price. Yes, they have. Uh, well, it's true. Some trout are stocked. Many people, myself included, only fish for wild fish, and a huge proportion of fly fishermen practice which call, what's called catch and release, uh, wherein the fish are immediately released unharmed. Mm-hmm. Perry, in the USA, my name is pronounced Wagner, but I'm fishing in Germany. They say Wagner. Wagner. Either it's acceptable, either it's acceptable, and I, I must say you nailed my annoying Midwestern nasal accent to a T. Wagner. 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 Uh, I'm, I'm honored. I'm honored and L a L M a O to have somehow become an official CLP rod maker and laughing even harder at Johnny's comments at the end about the election slash COVID. If y'all, if y'all ever want to go fishing, I'll be happy to take you. Thanks to all. Uh, thanks and all the best dash JD Wagner. Attaching some pics of uh, pics in full res glory. The BW pics are with rapid rectilinear from a Kodak autographic folder. Love the baby poop glow, and it's pretty darn sharp. Stop down. All right. So, uh, on just a technical note, Johnny, I, I, I'm not sure we should read out their email addresses at the beginning of the email. Oh, we can, we can bleep that, but everybody, I mean, he's got, he's got a web page. I mean, yeah, this is yeah. newsletter stuff. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. This is, I think in this case, it's all good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, I mean, thanks JD. That's, that's super cool. And, um, that brook trout is beautiful, but I didn't know this dude was also into like Kodak Vesutan, uh, picks, which is, which is mad cool. Cause that's what these photos that he's attached are. Now oh, Perry's really impressed. JD, you take Perry fish and you probably get a hand job too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next email. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, Perry. Just giving you a hard time. All good. <laughs> All right, Gary Florzak wrote us on the 24th of November. Perry's MP and thinning out gear, he says. Uh, so Gary says, greetings, CLP trio. I hope you're all staying healthy and well. Congrats to Perry on his MP acquisition. Perry, it sounded like this was the, was a quote-unquote grail purchase for you. 
does a purchase like this make you consider moving some of your existing gear that you might not utilize? If not, is there still something out there that you would there that would, uh, I pose the same question to Johnny and Simon. Admittedly, my experience with photography gear is limited. I have bought and sold what I feel has been plenty of gear and made, uh, that made sense at the moment, but later realized it didn't fit my shooting style or needs. Um, yes, I am always interested in what drives people, uh, yet I am always interested in what drives people to acquire more gear. And if they have any self-imposed limits, uh, sending good cheer to you all. Always looking forward to the new episode and banter. Gary Florzak, Chicago. And he has an Instagram address here and so forth and so forth. Um, he is anagramography. Anagram of gray. <laughs> anagram of gray, not anagramography. Anagramography could be an interesting thing. That could be an actual thing. Yeah, study of anagrams. Yeah, but but photographically. Photographic anagrams. All right. Well, I'm far less interested to look at your Instagram now, Gary, but that's all right. We'll still look at it. No, I'm kidding. It sounds awesome. And I'm sure I've married. I must have met Gary at some point. He's in Chicago. Maybe not. I don't know. All so, right. Anyway. Uh, so you're going to start Perry. selling some gear now? I, I don't. I don't think so. Um, I mean, this concept of a grail purchase is, you know, I have some friends who talk in these terms, and I think I've that term lost a lot of meaning for me a long time ago because that's not how gas works, right? If you have something that's like the holy grail and the, the pinnacle of what you want to get after you get that, then you, at least for me, I just start wanting the opposite end of the spectrum. So a lot of the times after I get something really, really, really nice, I then want to get stuff that's really, really, really crap to play with as well. Um, because really nice is boring, you know? Um, so if someone, if someone gave me like a Zeiss Otis, I would probably shoot once with it and then go get like a broken lens off a folder or something and, and have more fun with that. Um, so no, I, I think the things that would make me consider moving on my existing gear would not be purchasing something superior. Uh, it would be stuff like space considerations uh, or or things like that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I get, I get that for most normal people, this is how it works. It's like, oh, I just bought a new camera. I should sell my old camera. Um, but <laughs> I think, I, I, I'm assuming that for the three of us, that is no longer, uh, uh, or, or never has been what a particular... What is the selling cameras thing you're talking exactly. about? Exactly. <laughs> well, I've got, a, I've got a slightly different take on that, because I'm, I'm in the same place. I, I, I really don't like the idea of selling, selling stuff, um, including the stuff I buy to sell. Uh, and which I will do one day, and I keep saying that. Um, but I was having a, a, I got a text message uh, from Jeremy North uh, earlier this week, which is, you know, it was always a case of, oh, okay, here it comes, and uh, and uh, and it, it was, and it wasn't criticism of the show or anything like that. Um, it goes, do you want to do you want to buy my Contax G two Millennium Millennial kit? Um, in black and millennial millennial yeah whatever it's called um, it's millennium is it millennium does it does it come with a giant sense of entitlement does it dress like a total hipster yeah so um so yeah and we I'm, I'm referring to the uh, the kit that i i well he lent me and i i uh, i borrowed and uh, i i shot it 
in Edinburgh and uh, and Liverpool, and it was every bit as good as I ever could have hoped it could be. Um, mm. And uh, and then you may also remember that I had uh, uh, Gilbert Townsend lent me one uh, for most of this year, and it sat on the shelf, and I didn't use it once. Um, and and my conclusion from that is it's it's a travel camera, and uh, and that's all I would ever want to use it for. And I haven't really been doing much travel like most people, so it's a, it's it doesn't really work for me. But um, but obviously I obviously want it, um, but it's also way too expensive for me um which then made me think well okay well let's think well there's there's the actual kit that he's talking about is is more than just the the plain kit there's you know there's a there's two g2s there's a g1 in there there's duplicate lenses and i think well i don't need all of those um but even so even after i would sell on the things that i didn't really need or, or want for that matter um i'd still wouldn't have enough money to be able to afford it and therefore the next point there is well what do i sell and you know and and i think that this is this is more to the point i might i'm i'm probably more motivated to sell equipment to buy equipment than i yeah. am now i've got the equipment and i don't need this other stuff anymore so uh, so that that's that's my general take and by, by the way the uh, the way the conversation uh, went uh, because Jeremy was thinking about was thinking you know I'm not using it why do I need it um, and I, d I did the decent thing and uh, talked him into keeping it um, even though he doesn't use it uh, which is the, uh, the, the the right thing to do and I think you'll both agree with that yeah that makes sense by the way there, there's a full contacts g2 black uh, kit for sale here in Hong Kong locally at the same shop that has the Rodenstock Kilogon. It's got a 214590 kit. Just FYI. Yeah, see it? I would have no problem. If he's not using it, I would no problem selling that because he's going to get serious bank for that thing. He'd do really well selling that thing. Yeah, don't, don't, don't listen, Jeremy, because it's yeah. um, at, at some point I, I will be successful enough to buy it off you. <laughs> all right but just save it for simon to sell it to of course yeah yeah that's that's the right thing to do right also you know the, the other thing is um gary's email is all about these sort of grail purchase idea right and i and i will say to that that getting the mp for me has at least is extinguished any lingering Leica gas like rob jameson keeps sending me pictures of black paint Leicas that he really wants to get and i look at them i'm like oh that's cute but i have a black paint mp now um so the, the, the gas that it's extinguished is I have had this, you know, long-term Leica gas and I just don't have it anymore. I'm like, yeah, there's, there's nothing. I, I don't need a, I don't need another Leica. No one needs another Leica, but yeah. there's just no desire for that anymore. So now I'm just like, oh, if I'm going to get stuff, it's going to be more kind of exotic or, or weird stuff. I think in the same way with like a Contax G2, once you got that, you wouldn't, you know, the gas for sort of contacts, well, there's not anything else that's quite like it, but you know what I mean? Like, it extinguishes your gas for well, things would, of that subcategory. Well, the, 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 I suppose the point there would be, would, would I sell my M2, which I, which I equally don't use, and I've got less, mm -hmm. less desire to use, and I still probably wouldn't sell that, because it's just... But, but, that, but they're, not the just same, nice. they're not the same type of camera, right? Well, in my mind, like, they are. Because they've they've got similar use for for me they 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 travel cameras and I I, I class the Leica as a travel camera. Right. Okay. No. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah. I guess there's not a lot 
like the G2 and G1, they're pretty unique as interchangeable autofocus, weird rangefindery things. But like, is there anything else that's like it? I'm trying to think of a comparison here because obviously, if you got a G2, you, you would feel no gas for a G1. Um, and, and I've got no gas for a G1, even though I don't have one. I really don't right. like a G1. No, that, that, that's fair enough. I just I can't think of any other cameras that I would consider of that ilk. You know, there's nothing quite like the G2 mm. or G1. Mm. Yeah. So the analogy does not hold. Yeah. What about the um? What's what's it called? Um. Oh, I'm spacing on the name. Do you know the auto the autofocus? The other autofocus interchangeable. Well, not interchangeable. The M mount. No, it's not M out. The <laughs> the the fixed focus. Uh, uh, well, one of those Olympia Olympia cameras. No, no, no. Um, I'm I'm completely. I don't think about cameras at all anymore. Uh, I don't. I, I don't think a fixed focus anything would be a no. The the the, the, it, the, fixed, the fixed lens full frame. Uh, the Hexar? Uh, yeah, the Hexar. Oh, the the Hexar AF. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, I guess. Yeah, yeah the Hexar okay. AF. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Except, uh, except it's fixed lens. Yep. So yeah, what? I mean, that's the big difference. But, but so what? Now we're back on this travel camera thing, which I don't yeah, get at I've, all. Yeah, I don't I've, get it all. Yeah, but I've I used did, it with the twenty. I've used it with the twenty-one mil and and that viewfinder, and adored yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I the Konica Hexar AF is. Oh, I love that camera, but I, I would take a Contax G two over it. You can any keep both. Day, I think you guys can have them both. The Hexar AF is is cool. I don't, I don't, you know, one. I don't know, man. The, the Hexar AF I think is one of the coolest cameras, but I every time I hold it, I just don't like the way the ergonomics are set up. If it were just if the if the con- controls were a little different, I think it would be. I would adore that camera, but yeah, I would take a G2 over that. But you're right. It, it's, it's a similar, you know, ethos, right? It's like a range finder with auto. It's an autofocus range it, finder. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. Hmm. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I can't be bothered. Either one of them. Um, okay. Are we on to the next one or yeah. I'm just wondering yeah. if you're, if you're, if you're short of time, should we do? Do you want to try and find that one about uh, tele? Because I've already alluded to it now. There's a classic telephoto. Oh, classic super telephoto lenses. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, one second. Let's make a note that we've done these two. Uh, classic super telephoto. Yeah, I'm just trying to remember where that is. Yeah, it's the uh, uh, third from the top in terms of most recent. Ah, yeah, from Michael. Yep. Michael Gossett? That's mm-hmm. one. Okay. All right, we'll do that one. Um, so Michael Gossett wrote us, um, subject classic super telephoto lenses, and I will not read his email address. Good point, Perry. Okay. Hello, all. I have been listening to the podcast for about a year now since – you all are going to the great outdoors to fish or more realistically stuck at home. Why not try one of the most difficult and frustrating forms of photography with legacy lenses, birding. 
when I first started adapting lenses, I tried finding a cheap burning lens. I've since moved on to an old FD 300 millimeter 2.8L, but still bring out some of the lighter and cheaper lenses like the Canon FD 400 millimeter 4.5, 300 millimeter F4 non-L, FD 300 millimeter 5.6, and Sigma Apo 500 millimeter 7.2 manual focus version for some hikes. Um, I think that the Canon FD 400 millimeter 4.5 is probably the best budget choice out of the lenses I've tried. Uh, but it has some noticeable CA. I realize you probably don't shoot super tellies often, uh, but when, but what are your thoughts about various classics among them? Um, there are so many I have not tried, such as the Terra 3, 300 millimeter, 4.5 photo sniper, and have good reputations. Michael. Right. Well, oh man. Um, I've I've got a few things to say on this. Well, but, but Perry, have you got have you got much to say on this this subject? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I I used to be really into burning. Um, and and when I travel back to Canada, I still do it. So I, I definitely have stuff to say on this. But you go first. Okay. Um, it's 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 interesting. Uh, just just reading through this email, uh, when it says like he's uh, using a, a Canon FD. Um, we don't actually know what camera is using, by the way, um, but uh, but actually they're all all Canon lenses, so it might might be on film, might be on uh, on digital, both. Um, but certainly the uh, the Canon FD three hundred two point eight L has has got a great reputation, and uh, and there's the there's a I'm not sure if that's the same as the fluorite version or whether that might be a little bit older, which is also meant to be pretty legendary. Um, I've I've I used to do a lot. Of, of of birding um with manual focus lenses um and that came largely because i was just interested in that it, uh, for a period of time um but also i was uh, this this was when i first got back into photography uh, back in i don't know about 2012 or so and i had a oh. olympus em1 uh, micro four thirds camera and and i think i had a I can't remember what what uh, what lens I was using, or maybe I was borrowing a lens or whatever. But when I was uh, trying to do birds in flight, um, as soon as there was anything going on behind, other than just clear sky, um, the 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 autofocus would fast as anything um, lock onto a tree, um, which I would have already gone past instead of staying with the bird, and and it used to be hugely frustrating um and you did all different things and settings and so on and so on and, and it just it just wasn't very good at, at that kind of photography it was as simple as that and I, I thought to myself you know what i'd actually do better if i was just manually focusing um and i wasn't totally into manual focus lenses at the time but i just thought i could just do a better job and and that's exactly what i did and i think i got myself an olympus 304.5 um om um, which was which was pretty good. Um, interesting is he was talking about chromatic aberration on the uh, on one of the Canon lenses there, but that was something I used to get a lot with this Olympus, and it was the older silver nose lens, so it's the coatings aren't going to be as good as on the the later version. So I, I don't know if the later versions are better at chromatic aberration, but this was generally quite poor if in the if the light wasn't great and you were shooting wide open, um, certainly if you were shooting um, stop down in better weather, then the, the, the problem would go away. Um, 
but what I was what I was finding though is when I made the switch from micro four thirds to full frame, um, a three hundred millimeter lens, you, know, you get a equivalent um, field of view as uh, as a six hundred mil on on micro four thirds because of the crop. Um, I was finding like I was just wasn't getting close enough anymore. Um, and there was another there's actually another benefit of uh, micro four thirds when you when you're shooting um birds in flight is because you shoot if you if you need to be using say a 600 millimeter lens for instance um in terms of equivalence if you're shooting it on micro four thirds you're actually shooting a 300 millimeter lens um, but you're getting the same view but you're also getting the benefit of actually a slightly uh, deeper um um what's the word uh, depth of field so therefore, mm -hmm. if you've got a if you've got a bird in flight, and uh, so you're, you've got your three hundred millimeter lens with a three hundred millimeter depth of field, as opposed to a, a six hundred millimeter lens with a six hundred millimeter depth of field, um, it just it's a little bit easier to actually fit the bird in to that depth of field that you've got because you've got a little bit more to play with in the first place. Um, so so that was that was mm -hmm. something I, I found to be. Uh, easier to use uh, micro four thirds for that, um, but the other the other thing you mentioned uh, that you, you moved on to well you quite often crack open the uh, not literally the um, the four hundred four point five Canon FD uh, which I've used as well and I loved that lens um, I actually personally think that's the for if you're shooting full frame it's probably it's about as good as it gets. Um, because it's it's not too heavy. It's certainly lighter than the 302.8. I've used to have the Tamron, uh, uh, the later version of the Tamron uh, 302.8, and I've also I've used the uh, one of the Nikon um, 302.8 of the same era, which was which was excellent as well. Um, there wasn't really much between. Them. I think the, the Nikon handled better, but I, optically there was there, there was no difference between between those two, but. I did gravitate a lot to that 404.5 because it's it's not too heavy, it's sharp. I didn't really. I've heard people talk about uh, chromatic aberration with that lens. I never really got it. So it could be it could be more of an issue with sample variation there because I never suffered from that. It was a, a really good lens. I sold it ultimately because. <laughs> Eventually, I just had enough. <laughs> I'd go out with yeah. a, a friend, and uh, he would have a have an autofocus camera, a proper one, not a Micro Four Thirds uh, Olympus. Um, and um, and somebody just lent me a camera. And goes just just use that, and it was a it was a it was a pretty old uh, Nikon um, DSLR. It might be like a D eighty or something like that. And uh, and and a bird just flew out. I just pointed the pointed the camera towards it, got the thing, got three photographs, and it and it disappeared. And there's just there's just no way I would have actually got that manually focused. But I actually think that spending like eighteen months of manually focusing birds in flight made me a better photographer as a whole because I could actually it was getting the pick, getting the bird in the frame quickly and in focus was was critical uh, with mm -hmm. um, with with manual focusing and you know, you'd you'd uh, set the focus distance to be uh, to to match where you think the bird's going to be and all that kind of stuff and those are things you can do with a with autofocus as well so um, so yeah so some you've mentioned some great lenses there i can't really add any others other than the the two others i've mentioned there i would say keep away from mirror lenses for birds and flight i've done it yeah and you, 
I, I really wouldn't want to do it again. Um, so no. yeah, that's 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 my take on it. Well, I have a lot of things to say in response to that, Simon. <laughs> um, I, I was actually going to say that from the beginning that I, I have kind of the opposite attitude uh, towards birding, but that by the end, um, what you said at the very end is is kind of nails it for me. But but a few things there. Uh, number one, this idea of like more apparent more apparent depth of field to work with on micro four thirds. I mean, that is true, but from just a technical perspective, it is the same effect as cropping. Uh, so you don't actually have more depth of field. You just have more apparent depth of field uh, when you crop down to that. So for example, shooting with a higher resolution Sony and then cropping down to like a micro four thirds two times crop is going to give you the same depth of field effect. So I don't think that's too much well, of a... Well, with a, a 600 mil on my on full frame. Yeah. That's how depth of field works, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's the same opt. It's like the perspective right. conversation, but it's the same optically. <laughs> it's just when we stage our this, isn't it? Yeah, it's just when you crop it down, the apparent depth of field doubles, right? When you go to a two time crop, um, because you're you're blowing it up, and so that actually shouldn't be a factor if you're considering uh, what sort of platform to shoot. Yeah, it is helpful because you get full resolution. Um, and you're not cropping down, but it does have the same optical effect. It's just cropping down from a higher res starting point in the first place. I, on must, full admit, frame. I must admit, when I was saying that, I was thinking to myself, I hope I'm not wrong about this. <laughs> no, you're wrong about that. <laughs> um, for the same reason you're wrong about perspective. But, but, We're not going to talk about that, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the other thing is, uh, yeah, the reason why super telephoto lenses are more susceptible to um, chromatic aberration just because they're that long. There's something called a secondary spectrum of light, which causes uh, chromatic aberration. The, the secondary spectrum is just much larger. And chromatic aberration is when you have, you know, different colors not meeting properly or, you know, Jason Lane is probably throwing things right now. But so that that's that's always going to be an issue um, with a lot of super tellies, but it just, it really depends on what you're photographing uh, and, you know, how harsh the light is and how high contrast your edges are but having said that as far as birding goes i mean i i can't can't do it man manual focus it is so frustrating for birds in flight uh for exactly what you talk about so back in the day when i used to shoot with my 5d um what i would do is just set up very specific autofocus settings to help me track birds in flight And, and there were ways to do that which was nice and these days pretty much the only autofocus lens I still own is one that I reserve pretty much for birding. It's a Canon EF, uh, 400 millimeter F 5.6 L, which I've had for ages. And I, and I pretty much just only use that for birding, but these days I have it on a Metabones adapter that I put on my Sony and it works. It works fine. I shot puffins with it last summer when we were traveling in Canada. Um, so I don't know. I just find it too frustrating to try to shoot birds in flight with a manual focus lens. But the thing you said about, it training the skills I think is super relevant because one thing that I do find is when I'm auto-focusing on birds in flight, that ability to kind of pre-focus in roughly the distance that the bird is and then let autofocus do the rest, that helps a lot because what you don't want is exactly what you were describing, which is for the autofocus to hunt between the background and the subject, which can happen a lot, especially as you say, if the bird goes from say sky in the background to like trees or mountain in the background, 
then the autofocus just goes, yeah, what's going on here? Um, but autofocus systems have improved so much that this is one area that I would be like, unless unless you just want the masochism um, or really want to mess around with cool, cheap super tellies, like if you actually want to go birding, uh, stick with autofocus is my recommendation. Yeah. Yeah, my, my only autofocus lens is a Sigma... Um, I think it's a 120 to two, uh, to 400 and it sits on yeah. a, uh, a, a Nikon D500. Um, and that's the only thing that camera and lens ever get useful. Yes, exactly. I have a dedicated birding setup yeah. exactly like that uh, with the adapter and the 400. I mean, I will say that, that the Nikkor um, ED lenses in, I, I think most of them are AIS, are pretty good. But then the, the 300 4.5 comes to mind. But in my opinion... 300 is too short for birding yeah unless you're shooting like only you know great blue herons and big ass egrets and stuff yeah yeah big yeah. birds or small birds that are very close yes exactly <laughs> no but e but even then you know the minimum focus on a lot of super tellies is not great hmm. um so the the one that i have at least if the bird is super close within uh I forget what the minimum focus is, but if the bird is super close, then like you, you need an extension too, which is dumb. <laughs> that reminds me, uh, must be about five, six years ago, I, when I had the uh, the, the, the Tamron uh, 200, uh, sorry, 300 2.8, um, I, I just decided I've got plenty of uh, extension rings and I, I decided to go out into the garden uses a macro lens um, with, <laughs> with about six, six rings on it, uh, something, something like that. And it was brilliant. I mean, apart from the fact, like you know, you could only actually do it for you know minutes uh, before your arms you couldn't. Well, for me at least, anyway, um, just having so much weight so further forward, and and also having having to support everything in such a way that you weren't going to put too much strain on the uh, the joints between the lens and the camera. Um, but mm. I, got, I got some really good shots, like um, of, of bees on flowers and things like that. So uh, it was uh, it, it it worked in incredibly well. I mean, that's one of those things. You know, you get some kind of lens, some lenses. Um, the closer you focus, then the less uh, the less sharp they are, uh, because there's, there are some limitations yeah. in in a lot of lenses. Um, and I was thinking to myself, well, a three hundred mil lens using it as a macro with you know tons of extensions, surely this is going to be really poor. But it wasn't. It was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I just wouldn't I mean, do it every day. I, did you get a similar kind of magnification at that point? Uh. That you would with like a uh, sorry that you would with like a normal say fifty millimeter macro lens or hundred millimeter macro lens. I didn't, I didn't really notice to be honest, um, and I can't remember whether it was doing it on the Sony or or uh, or a micro four thirds either. Um, yeah, because I mean it, it just one thing that always uh, confuses me. I, I don't shoot a lot of macro anyway, um, but one thing that always confuses me is like when I use extension rings on certain lenses that have longer minimum focusing distances, and then I get closer, I then realize that the actual magnification in practice is not as good as like a shorter lens with a much closer focusing distance. And so, so you, you know, you got the focal length, which kind of zooms in, so to speak, I'm doing air quotes here, but then that's combined with the focusing distance to then give you the actual magnification. Right. Mm. And so sometimes you're like, Oh, longer lens, I'll use that for a close-up or a macro shot with extension tubes, but then you still don't get close enough to meet 
to match the kind of magnification of a proper macro lens. I I don't know if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I can't remember, and I, I I have no plans to do anything like that ever again. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair enough. Plus, I, I guess you would lose a lot more light, right? Because it's already yeah, going to be a yeah. slow slower lens. So once you got rings on it, it's gonna when you get up close, you're probably wide open. You're effectively at like an f eleven or f sixteen level of light. Yeah, well, it was it was it was definitely. It, it, I mean, I was shooting on a, on in in, in bright uh, in bright light at two point eight, uh, so tiny depth of field as well. Uh, yeah, but that, but that is something that I've, I remember seeing that for the first time in, in action when I was um, I think using a Tamron lens, and as I was getting closer and closer, and uh, you know, so fo- focusing on closer closer things, I could see my shutter speed dropping, and I was thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah I wouldn't. Uh, or the effective f-, f f stop was effectively sh- um, changing as it goes along, which is the yeah. first time I'd really noticed that happening. Right. Um, I think we've probably done our emails for this week. Um, yeah. So uh, um, let's start to wrap things up. And I think the first thing I need to do is to say thank you to those people that have uh, um, made donations to us since uh, we were last on. And I think the first person, oh, did we already do this one? Uh, I'm going to say it again, uh, if or not. Uh, and that's Shia Morrison. Um, three three coffees because that really lifted my spirits. And uh, and nice nice to actually hear some discussion about lenses. Uh, I don't know what he's going to make of the first 20 minutes of this show. Um, um, <laughs> then uh, Mike Epstein, thank you very much. More interesting than the last 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, um, you don't really do birding, do you, John? You can tell. tell no, you know why? Because I like birds. I actually really, really like birds. That's why I don't do bird photography, because I actually get to look at them and enjoy them and not fart around with lenses. Yeah. Gigantic, awkward, stupid lenses. I actually like birds. So does, I, that mean you, I, does that mean you hate pigeons? No, pigeons are great. I have them. But there. you photograph them a lot. Yeah, no, pigeon, pigeons are great because I have them under my control. Um, <laughs> I have them all under my control. They do what I ask them to do. But no, I love birds. So I have a pair of binoculars that are, you know, they're not super high end. They're, they're uh, Nikon Monarchs, which are not crazy expensive. But I, when I thought I was going to die earlier this year, I figured I'd get a pair of binoculars so that I could do some birding before I kick the bucket because I love doing it so much. Um, but I, I, the reason I don't do bird photography is because I love birds. <laughs> because I want to actually be able to enjoy actually looking at the birds and not screwing around with whatever camera's in front of my face. So I, it's, it's just... Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah. So as much as I love birds, I have no desire to photograph them because there's any bird that I think I can photograph, somebody can photograph it better. And there's no need for me to photograph birds, therefore, because somebody can do it better than me and I don't have to do the work. <laughs> so. I, 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 t- I totally agree with that. I'm, and I'm, I wouldn't say I'm uh, a, a bird lover. I enjoy, um, I like birds and uh, I like photographing birds. I wouldn't go out my way to, to just watch birds um but i i tend to look at um i think i think it's the sport of uh, of capturing uh, a wild animal i mean this is why 
people go out with guns into Africa and into the woods and stuff like that, which is not my thing in the yeah. slightest. Um, but I do that with photography. And I think mm -hmm. I, I, I think there's possibly some similarities there. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's my way of doing it. I'm sure for some people that's there, as a person who really enjoys guns, I have no desire to kill animals with them. <laughs> and I have no desire to spend any time trying to photograph birds when I could just be enjoying exactly. the same environment as them rather than, you know what I mean? I, but I get it. I get it. You're, I think you're right. I think for some people it is a sporting activity, yeah. right? And to, to kind of like walk away with that, that trophy of having, you know, accomplished it is, I can understand that. I can totally yeah, understand Yeah. And, and, and I totally get your, um, your perspective there, Johnny, too, because it's the same reason why I, I never bring a camera when I go fishing. Um, cause oh, I, yeah, really like, I just sense. have no interest in doing fishing photography. I just want to be in the moment. <laughs> right. And, exactly. And fishing <laughs> while I'm there. And if I catch a huge fish, I use my phone and take a photo of it. That's fine. It's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's about being, it's about being in the moment. Totally. So, and and that's what that's you know going back to the sporting element of it, uh, capturing a a crisp, well composed, um, manually focused bird in flight, the feeling yeah. you get from that. And by the way, I, f I forgot to mention that one of the one of the big advantages of uh, of manually focusing the wildlife is the fact that you 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 you're already composed. That's part of the process. To compose yeah. the shot so you, the bird is going to be in the correct place not where the the the, mm. the auto focus points are that you've set up you yeah know, they, yeah so you you the, you don't crop after you know you, you get that you just get the shot right well this that's the idea that's what I, I strive to do but so when you when you actually achieve those shots you know, you know you're showing off to your friends and say look at this photograph i've got here and, you know, and i'm like really really proud of it and they say well i've got 600 like that <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't care. I've got my one shot like this, and it's better than all your six hundred, as far as the way it makes me feel, and mm -hmm. and that's and that's right. all that mattered. So, so there we go. Anyway, um, uh, we want to say thank you to, um, and we've already read out an email, uh, Gary Florjak. Um, and he says, keep up the good banter. Uh, Barry Carr donated to us. Then Hong Lee um, says, thanks for providing a weekly. Mm, we're not really doing that at the moment. Um, weekly, a weekly. Oh, what on earth is that? Re Rebelsian. Rebelsian. That's with a capital R as well. Uh, Feast of views on encased meats. Automotive classics from Detroit and dubious dubious English interpretations of foreign cuisine. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much us. Um, and then Lawrence done. So thank you very much, Lawrence, as well. Um, so yeah, so that's that's the uh, the people that have uh, donated to us since last time. Um, so uh, let's do some shout outs, Perry. Have you got any shout outs? I do not have any shout-outs off the top of my head. Okay, Johnny? Mm, I'm sure I do. I should have written them down, though. Yeah, and, and I'm in the same boat. It's like 10 to 12 in the evening, which is, yeah, yeah I should be asleep now. Um, so I'm sorry if I should have shouted out to you, but I've, I've now forgotten. Um, so, um, Perry, how about emails and things like that? I hope not for emails. Um, how can people <laughs> look at the things that you do outside of this podcast? <laughs> I was gonna say you want me to give my email address. Uh, no, you can find me on. That's yeah. I'll just give it out later for you. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Flickr at Perry G. Uh, and now that I have Fixer, hopefully I will actually have some photographs in the next couple of days or so. Okay. And same for you, Johnny. Um, I'm not posting anything. Don't bother looking for me online. Uh, but you can go to Classic Lenses Podcast at gmail.com. Um, if you want to send us an email, go to classiclensespodcast.com. If you want to find the podcast, find information about the podcast, find podcast swag, T-shirts, underwear, hats, beanbag chairs. We got it all. Has anybody people. actually bought the underwear yet? Is, have we sold an underwear? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh no. Dan Tamarkin bought underwear, and uh, <laughs> Mahalo got his underwear this week. I think they came from Latvia. They took like a month. <laughs> Because they assemble them in Latvia, probably because they're too, probably because nobody is, everybody's too embarrassed to assemble them in the U.S. or elsewhere in in respectable countries. No, Latvia is perfectly respectable. I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, yeah so anyway, uh, buy some swag. Buy a hat. Buy a beanbag chair to sit in. Buy all that stuff. We have all that stuff. Buy some underwear. We have all that stuff. Um, what else? Uh, Instagram. Uh, best vintage lens. Check them out. Photos with amazing vintage lenses. I wonder if do you have, have they ever done any bird photography? Vintage bird, vintage uh, lens, they're, bird they're, photos. There's occasionally been some wildlife photography in there. Yeah, they, they could do doing the challenge really on uh, on wildlife. They, they should have a wallaby mm. challenge. Yeah. They should have a wallaby challenge. Wallabies, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, I've uh, just no, realized I was just that non non Australian wallabies. No, not as that would be boring. Non Australian yeah, wallabies. Easy. Yeah, right. They need to be not in a, not in Australia. Oh, wallaroos. So, wallaroos, wallaroos, actually. No, no, no yeah. kangaroos. No wallabies. Wallaroos. Wallaroos only. Yeah. <laughs> Wallaroo photography contest. Um, I will put a link in. I will add to our links of unofficial, unofficial sponsors. I will add um, the Wallaby Company. So if you need to buy a wallaby, you can look in our links and you can find a wallaby right there. So another important reason to visit the podcast website. Excellent. Okay. Well, uh, uh, I'm on Twitter as Simon Four. I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. Um, I have a website which is called SimonForsterPhotographic.co.uk, where you can buy lots of lens caps. Um, and I think that's just about it. Our music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Um, it's called Octo Blues. And that's it. So I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. And if you can, be like Carl.